recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Hey, this is Kurt Angle, and welcome to The Kurt Angle Show. On the show today, we're joined by a fellow Pittsburgh native. But first, let me introduce to you my co-host, Paul Bromwell. How you doing today, Paul? Kurt, uh, man, you said it perfectly there. We are so excited, and we're going to jump right into it because our guest I- I've been pumped about for a little while. He is a fellow Pittsburgh native from the Steel City, WWE commentator and legend. I mean, this guy, he's got some kind of commentary, commentating career, and I'm going to bring him right now. Corey Graves. Corey, welcome to the Kurt Angle Show. Thank you guys for having me. Always always blessed to join a couple of fellow Yinzers to chat business or whatever. <laughs> the Berg. That's it. Well, hey, listen, Corey, before we jump into all the questions, we usually kind of walk through your career and how you got to where you're at and and some fun questions there. Kurt and I do uh, some football picks, and uh, we call it the angle lock. And, uh, we try and, to do football picks. And the angle upset. And Kurt, he's actually doing pretty good this year, so we thought if you would indulge us, we'd bring you into this and have a little bit of fun. How's that sound? I'll give it a shot. I mean, I'm a, I'm a football fan far from a football expert. Okay. Okay. Well, listen, Kurt you know is a I know one thing about Corey. He's an Aerosmith fan. <laughs> I am an Aerosmith fan. That is factually we accurate. We saw each other at the concert last night. <laughs> what, a, what a night. You know what? We, we were blessed. They called the tour off like two nights after. Stephen blew out his vocal I know. Course. I know. Isn't that crazy? I guess hey, he's done for good, right? Yeah, that's what it seems like right yeah, now. But yeah. hey, we were lucky enough to see it. So I yes, won't complain. We there you guys, you got it in. Well, hey, listen, this isn't real down into the weeds. This is going to be easy. Uh, Kurt is 11 and five, if that tells you anything. So he's doing pretty good. He picked the 49ers to go to the Super Bowl, and now they've won, they've lost, should I say, three games in a row. Uh, Joe Burrow took him down again, Kurt. So I don't know. I mean, he's still thinking, you know, 49ers going to the Super They're Bowl. They're going to bounce back. I know it. <laughs> Well, they just traded for Chase Young. So I was, was going to say, Chase Young can't hurt hurt matters at all. He's an absolute yeah. animal. He'll help. He'll help, definitely. So, big pickup. You went one and one last week with your uh, a- angle lock. You, uh, you picked the uh, Dolphins to beat the Patriots, so you got that one right. But you had a loss, and the upset you picked, and you rode with our Steelers. And, uh, man, the Jaguars, they took care of us. There was no Kenny fourth quarter. No, it was Mitch Trubisky passing to the, passing to the Jaguars. And late in that, that game, impressive. man. Yes. So, uh, so here, let's do it. You get to pick who's your uh, angle lock and who's your angle upset for this coming week. Well, you're gonna you're gonna laugh at me, but I'm going with the Steelers again over the Titans. Okay, okay. that's the lock. The Steelers are favored to win. All right, so so we're recording this. By the way, hey, real quick, we're recording this because this drops officially on Sunday before the game. So. Just making sure all of our listeners know that if the Steelers did win, Kurt's not, you know, just just making it up or whatever. He's picking us before <laughs> right. the game. So there you go. Okay, Steelers. What about the other game? The upset, I'm picking the Cowboys over the Eagles. 
Oh, well ooh, that's cool. a big one. The Cowboys one. are red hot right now. They're five and two. The Eagles are seven and one. But I believe the Cowboys are going to upset the Eagles. Okay, well, you're going out on a limb. The red hot Philadelphia Eagles right now, and the Cowboys. I feel like it's a they're a week to week team. You never know which one's showing up. Uh, now they they did put a hurting on the Rams last week, so yes, we'll see what did. happens. And you know they're right. going to put a hurting on uh, these guys this week too. Oh my God! Okay, all right. Well, there you go. Well, uh, Corey, again, like I said, just we do at the top of the show, thanks for indulging us with that. But we're going to jump in to you. And again, thank you so much for joining us this week. And I want to start with uh, the beginning and uh, your fandom as a kid. You got into wrestling right around the time that Kurt was becoming WWE champion. Did seeing the Olympic gold medalist from Pittsburgh on TV give you the inspiration to get in the ring? Or, you know, tell us about how you fell in love with pro wrestling and and uh, was it something that, hey, as soon as you saw it, you knew it was something you wanted to do? It is quite literally uh, the fabric of all of my childhood memories. Uh, my dad is a big fan to this day. My dad loves the business. He he was a big Bruno San Martino guy and all the way up into the Hulk Hogan era, uh, which was right around the time I was born, you know, mid-80s. Uh, so I, I grew up in in the golden era with Hulkamania running wild and the Iron Sheik and all that sort of stuff. So I don't think it was ever really a choice that I made. It was just something I, I was born into. I mean, I, all of my memories as a kid and even as I grew up and my, my sister was born and my younger brother was born, um, wrestling was constantly on in the house. And usually WWF, WWE, uh, but my dad was a fan of the NWA. He used to talk about Ric Flair and the Road Warriors and guys like that. So I, I kind of had a crash course before I could really uh, even do basic arithmetic. I was a, a wrestling <laughs> fan. Um, and, and I don't think anybody, even my dad, has admitted as such. He never expected me to follow it to this degree to where I actually worked in the business. But it was really, uh, I, it, I think it's overused in this business where people say it's a dream come true. It's a childhood dream. Literally, this was my dream was to be involved in this. I wanted to be the intercontinental champion. That was my, my very okay. particular dream. Who was, uh, and I got to ask, who was the guy that really captured your attention though? Was there that one wrestler that you were like, this is what I want to do. He's my favorite. I think like most kids, I was captivated by Hulk Hogan. Okay. Um, and I remember, I think the first conflict I ever felt as a young man was WrestleMania six when Hulk Hogan and the ultimate warrior faced off because the, Hogan was my guy. And Hogan was still my dad's guy, but I was an ultimate warrior guy. And I remember thinking like, this is going to cause chaos in my house. I don't know how my dad's going to react. My dad's going to disown me because I'm rooting against his guy. Um, but then as I got older, I fell into, into love with, you know, Ric Flair, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, all of those guys who were more, more proficient at the technical aspect. Uh, but and to this day, I mean, nature boy, he, he still holds a special place in my heart. That's yeah. Ric Flair is the reason I always grew up loving the bad guys. Okay. He was a great bad guy, too. <laughs> the best, yep. Hey, you did a lot in the indies, including the likes of Ring of Honor, but you were focused on the IWC. What did wrestling in Pittsburgh mean to you? Wrestling in Pittsburgh will always have a special place in my heart because they were the first crew that really gave me the opportunity to, to enter the business. Um, we all heard the, the war stories of the guys in generations past who had to find a secret way into the, into the business and, and be invited in through some back tunnel deal. Uh, I was a freshman in high school and my dad was a firefighter, uh, a fire chief in a town called West Newton, not too far outside of Pittsburgh. And for their fundraiser every year, he would bring in a local independent organization uh, to, to raise money for the fire station. It was just, you know, the same, some places do gun bashes or spaghetti dinners or whatever. My dad opted to do pro wrestling. 
Uh, so he had an in with a local promoter and the company's called PWX. They still sort of exist. Kurt, I believe you, you, you spent a cup of coffee there. Yes, I did. I actually trained there when I started. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I was shortly, I came along not too long after you had left because the, the, the rumors were all swirling Kurt angle, Kurt angle. And I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Well, this is where Kurt was. This is where I want to be. Um, so, so they, they let me start training at 14. And that, that ate up my entire high school life, man. I missed my Talk senior prom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. I don't know how legal it was, but it was yeah. it was definitely uh, something that we we made arrangements for. And I remember I trained at the old Eastland Mall. Um, I, I did too. Yeah. Right. Which, as you know, Kurt, there was no air conditioning in the summer. There was no heat no, in the winter. Horrible, it was absolutely terrible. And I, I mean, talk about paying your dues. If you didn't love this, there's no way any sane human was going to put up with those conditions. But. Uh, yeah. And then I just started branching out. And I think I was guilty the same as anybody who's on the independence, especially very early, uh, where you don't realize how big the world is and how much there is to learn and how much opportunity is out there. But you have to break free from from your your home base. Um, I, I, you know, I thought I was the best guy in Pittsburgh. Well, then I'd go to Philadelphia and realize there were 10 guys on every show that I could learn from. And then I'd go to Cleveland. And I'd meet somebody who was in WWE that I'd never encountered before. And I'd sit and pick their brains and truly just kind of became a student of the game and realized no matter where I went, there was something that somebody could teach me. And speaking, no matter where you went, you also then travel to England a lot as well, right? So what are some of your favorite me uh, memories of that wrestling uh, scene and, and wrestling overseas? Well, a lot of, a lot of my favorite memories from those trips over to England, uh, I think I should probably safe for off the air, lest I, you know, get, get anybody into trouble. We, we had a really good time over there. Uh, the, the, the parties were, were epic and I will never forget them, but that was really my first opportunity, uh, save for a few appearances with a ring of honor here and there, or some of the larger independents in Philadelphia. Uh, that was really my chance to show a whole new audience who I was. And, and the first few times I went over there, people had no clue who I was. There was a lot of TNA guys on the show, a lot of big name American independents, but then there was this random tattooed guy who had a big mouth. And uh, I, I think I, I had to earn, it was really cool because I didn't have the luxury of being uh, a star when I arrived there. I kind of had to earn it. And I was lucky enough to brush up against guys, you know, like Abyss and uh, AJ Styles and Two Cold Scorpio and some real heavy hitters in the game at the time, but being able to, to interact with them and learn from them. Christopher Daniels is another guy who stands out to me. They were always willing to help. I was kind of like, every, I, I felt like everybody's little brother. I was the young guy that came on my first big tour and I was still trying to mind my manners and, and not get myself into any trouble. But uh, everybody was so, so happy to help and just pass on any knowledge they had. And I, I will forever be grateful for those trips to England, man. I, I learned so much over there. Well, Corey, it took you almost 11 years from your debut to sign with the WWE contract. Um, how big was that moment for you? It was truly surreal. By that point, I had all but accepted the fact that it was never going to come true. I had been, you know, toiling away on the independence and I was having a great time. But I, I at that point, I, I had children. You know, I, I had my first son when I was 24 years old uh, and it, it I came to a point where I went, all right, am I, I actually missed my first son being born because I had the option to take a wrestling tour in Spain where I would make a couple thousand dollars that I could use to pay for the child that I was bringing into the world. Or I could have stayed at home and done the normal thing. Guess which I chose. Um, but I got to the point where I had by this point, two children and 
it was just kind of came down to human necessity. I, I either needed to go get a real job and support my family or keep chasing this dream. So I was working at, at 911 for Allegheny County here in oh, Pittsburgh. Wow. I was a dispatcher for them and I had pretty much, I don't want to say given up, but I had definitely slowed down drastically on my chasing of my dream. And I, I let my hair grow out to be somewhat normal. And I, I you know, I, I weirdly enough, I slimmed down a little bit because I was just trying to stay big for as long as I could. And ironically enough, my days off because I was the new guy were Monday and Tuesday. And this is when raw and SmackDown were still back to back Monday and Tuesday. So WWE was coming to town and uh, Tommy dreamer was in the office still at the time. And he would book all the extra talent. And he called me and said, Hey, uh, we want you in, in uh, Cleveland and somewhere else. I can't maybe in Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And it was Monday and Tuesday. And I went, I could absolutely use an extra 500 bucks each day to bring home to, to the baby and, and feed my family. So that's the only reason I said yes. I had absolutely no expectations that I was going to get signed or that they even had any interest. I figured I was just a warm body to be there to fill fill the, the extras locker room. And uh, lo and behold, that day I had a few conversations with a few people and one thing led to the next and then to the other. And about six weeks later, I, I, I was sitting at my dining room table on a Wednesday. I remember like it was yesterday and my phone rang and I said, hello, Hey, this is WWE. Uh, we want to know if you'd be interested in coming to work for us. And like time stood still. It, it was absolutely incredible. Now these nine one one calls, were you cutting wrestling promos? On oh man, Kurt, I, I swear to God, the, the very, I, I think it was like the last week that I was there. I had already put in my two weeks notice. I knew I was not going to be at WWE or I, I was not going to be at nine one one anymore. I was going to WWE and we used to have, we, we'd call them frequent flyers, people that would call 911 for any reason all night oh, long. My, you know, my neighbor's trash cans in my front yard. Well, yeah, what right. do you want the cops to do about that? <laughs> and, and this woman called one, I, I, I want to say it was like the, the late afternoon and her, I think her neighbor's dog was barking or something. And I said, ma'am, it's 7 p.m. I don't really know what you want us to do. It's a dog. It's barking. It's, uh, <laughs> and she started, you know, she had a few choice words for me. And that was when wrestler brain kicked in. And I will never forget it. She said, are you guys all on drugs over there? And I said, yes, ma'am. We are all on drugs right now running the 911 center. And she hung up on me. And about 30 seconds later, my supervisor came over and said, um, right. did I just hear you tell right. somebody who called 911 that we're all on drugs? I said, yeah, but she was being a said, we should probably not do that anymore. And I, I don't know. That might have got me canned had I not been leaving anyway. But I was going to say why, right on a recorded line. Yeah, I, I you know, that, that, yeah. like I said, wrestling brain. I, I bit my tongue for like two years. And finally, I saw daylight. Yeah, like, you know what? Here it, we baby. go. <laughs> Let loose. That's it. And I was going to ask you, did you ever think about giving up on wrestling? But you kind of walked us through that. And man, aren't you glad, uh, you know, that you didn't, uh, especially man, when I, you talk about that moment with the phone call? Yeah, it's it's really unbelievable to look back. And, and again, and I. I was at a, I was sort of at peace at the time that I, I went, you know what? I'm, I'm 27 years old. I've got a life ahead of me. I've got a young family. Uh, things aren't so bad. I've got a good job. I have a career if I need it. You know, I'm, I'm okay. And uh, yeah, didn't see that coming, but I'm glad it did. Where did the name Corey Graves come from? Funny enough, when uh, we used to get signed to FCW, the standard protocol was unless you had a big name from outside of, uh, of WWE, which very few people did. Uh, you would have to submit lists of names that would be approved and you could be that character's name. And I remember having a really hard time with a first name because there was just nothing that came to mind that I, I felt 
fit. And I submitted the last names Ness and Graves. And Ness was from Mike Ness from Social Distortion. And Graves was the singer of the Misfits at the time. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll borrow one of their names, much like Seth Rollins. You know, the, the, he borrowed that last name. Yeah. Um, and, and Corey, ironically enough, came from Bray Wyatt uh, at practice one day. Huh. And he, he was singing Sunglasses at Night by Corey Hart, the 80s. <laughs> yeah. I artist. wear my sunglasses at night. Yeah. yeah. So I can. So I can. Yeah. And I don't know yeah. why that song was being discussed at the I'm sure there was a reason at the time, but he goes, There's your name. He goes, You're Corey Graves. And I per personally, I hated it, and <laughs> but I didn't submit anything different in time. And and one of the guys that worked in the office was like, "Well, the, the the office approved Corey Graves," and I said, "All right, well, I guess I'm Corey Graves." So here I am. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. <laughs> Your first wrestling name, just doing a little bit of wiki research quickly, was Sterling after Sterling Sharp that how Sterling was he your Sharp. how was he your favorite football player as a Steelers fan I that's a great question I think because I was most like most of the kids my age would wake up every morning before school and just watch sports center okay. so that we could have something to talk to our friends about and Sterling Sharp was a, a walking highlight man oh, every yeah. day he was on and I was just I love the Steelers but I actually the first Steelers game I ever went to was a preseason game when the Packers were in town okay um and, and I I wouldn't have considered myself a Packers fan really, but yeah, Sterling Sharp was my guy. And then again, the James Keenan, I stole from Maynard James Keenan from tool. See, there's there's the a pattern music. here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not originality. I just find bands that I like and I just right. borrow heavily. Yep. Nah, I love it. All right. So you were there for the, from the transition from FCW to NXT. Can you talk to us what that was like for you, for everyone involved in that transition? To the best of my knowledge, it was very exciting, but it was also very uncertain. Um, FCW versus NXT, it was two completely completely different systems, basically different worlds. FCW, we were sort of the redheaded stepchildren on this island down in Tampa, hoping that maybe one of us someday would make a couple bucks. No one was making much money. I think we were all making five, six hundred bucks a week, uh, which was at standard at the time but not exactly a, a comfortable living. And you'd go, you'd train five days a week and you do these live events in front of 10, 20, 30 people, four or five nights a week. I remember getting there and having a conversation with Seth Rollins, who I had known from the independence at the time. And I was like, dude, is this WWE? Like we're being, my paycheck says WWE on it, but this doesn't feel anything like WWE. You know, I, I grew up watching it and I, I'm thinking to myself, I'm in England a couple, you know, every few weeks wrestling in front of three, 4,000 people. And now there's 26 people for our TV tapings. Uh, it was, it was absolutely not glamorous. So I think the goal when making the NXT changeover was to really overhaul the entire system. And I know that was sort of Paul's baby at the time. Triple H's baby was developmental and he wanted to give us the best tools in the world to succeed. And boy, did we ever, um, and there were certain holdovers. Obviously, we still had Dusty Rhodes. We still had a lot of the same familiar faces from FCW coaching-wise. Uh, so, so there was a level of comfort. And I know that a lot of us were just blown away 
by the facility, the performance center. The first time you step foot, wait a minute, we have a kitchen. We're not at FCW. We had a microwave and you'd have about eight guys standing around in a, in a semicircle waiting to heat up their food and, and just, just seeing the performance center and what it became. And then there was such an influx of talent uh, where we saw a lot more of our friends from the independents coming in. Whereas FCW, there were a handful of us who were the quote unquote indie guys. Um, but there were a lot of, of, you know, outsiders and then NXT came and it was like, okay, everyone who we felt should be here was starting to get an opportunity. Not everybody stuck, but it was, it was really cool to see all these different faces that were familiar and guys you knew wanted it and wanted to be there and cared about the business. Well, you would get to wrestle Seth Rollins in NXT as the shield was starting to get hot. What's the biggest difference between Seth then and Seth now? Oh man. Uh, I, Seth's one of my one of my favorite people in this game, man. I, I've, mine I've spent, too, mine too, Corey. Yeah. Well, you were a Shield member there for a you know a couple <laughs> copies as well. <laughs> <Hot second. Yeah. laughs> that's a that's a prerequisite. Uh, I, I think I think it's not necessarily unique to Seth because I could give you the same answer regarding a lot of guys who I've come up with. It's maturity. When you when you come into this game into the into the business at, at first, especially on the independent, it, it's you versus the world, you have to have a chip on your shoulder or you're not going to succeed. And I think a lot of us carried that to FCW and into NXT. And that's, I think that's why NXT became as red hot as it did at the time, because you had a bunch of guys who were stuck in the warehouse in Tampa who didn't think anyone was paying attention. And we said, you know what, we're going to do it our way. And you had Dusty who was just so cavalier that Dusty believed in us and NXT caught fire. And of course you had individual stars that broke out, Seth being one of them. And Seth still has a massive chip on his shoulder. That's how the dude lives his life. But Seth is now more mature. He's a dad now. He's a husband. He looks at things differently. He's concerned, not concerned, but he's interested in the health of the overall business and the future of the business. And he's the guy now, Kurt. Like, I remember it used to be John Cena for years. You walk out through Gorilla, and one of the, one of the top guys is sitting there watching the monitor. After every live event match or every every segment of TV sets that guy now who sits yeah, yeah. and and he doesn't overstep his boundaries and he won't give you advice if you don't ask for it. But it's one of those deals where you go, I should probably ask that guy. He's done a few things in the game. Maybe he knows. But uh, yeah, I mean, Seth is Seth is the same guy at heart who he always was that sort of rebellious sort of punk rock mentality. But he's just a little more mature, and he, and he looks at things a little more carefully now. And, and I think that's probably going to add to his longevity in the business. Corey, I want you to talk about a guy you've mentioned already a few times, but specifically about his impact on you and your career, and that is Dusty Rhodes. Can you just share a few thoughts about him and what he meant to you in your career? I can honestly say, I mean, there's a lot of people that have added so much to my life and my career but if I had to pinpoint one guy who I think I learned the most from, not only about the business, but about life, it was the American dream. Uh, Dusty, you, you've heard in all the documentaries and the interviews, even in Cody's new interview, that NXT and FCW, we were Dusty's kids. And he treated us as such because he cared. And nothing made Dusty happier than someone who was willing to take a risk or willing to step outside of the box or, or do something that wasn't a quote unquote wrestling promo or a character. Dusty wanted you to, to break the mold. He wanted everybody to do that. And the impact that Dusty had is visible 
each and every segment on Raw or SmackDown these days, from a Seth Rollins to a Becky Lynch to, I mean, Bray Wyatt, all of these Roman Reigns, the top stars that populate those spots in the business all spent significant time with Dusty. Uh, the, those first few generations of, of NXT as well. Um, and, and I think I learned more and became closer with Dusty actually after I was out of the ring because it was when my my concussions happened and I had to step away and I was still trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do with my life with this opportunity. And Dusty was one who said, come on, baby, you just hang out with me. And I spent eight hours a day in Dusty Rhodes' office in the Performance Center for like six months straight five days a week, listening and learning and laughing. And, and half the time it was, it had nothing to do with wrestling. It, it, Dusty would put on Garth Brooks live in central park and we would just sit there and why, and I've, I've seen it 50 times at this point. And we would sit there and he would start thinking and he'd go, Hey, tell me what you think about this. And we'd hmm. bounce ideas back and forth. And that was the coolest thing about Dusty was he was never the one who had to make it his idea. Right. Dusty just wanted to help. And if Dusty saw a glimmer of what you felt inside. He was a magician at drawing it out and really helping people step out of their comfort zones and myself included all the way up to, to when I had to announce my retirement and, and step into the, the broadcast world. Dusty was an advocate for me. Dusty went to bat for me uh, mm. at every opportunity. And, and he was more than gracious with his time and his knowledge. And I was like a sponge, man. It, it was a short period of time, but I would say it was one of the most important periods of time, not only in my career, but in my life, as far as learning so much from, from Dusty. I I'm so blessed to have known him as well as I did. Well, you would work a lot with the Wyatt family in NXT. What can you tell us about Bray Wyatt and Brody Lee, the men and the wrestlers? Man, you would be hard-pressed to find two better dudes in the business, in the world, uh, a Brody, I knew when he was sort of breaking in, in the Buffalo area, I think he's from Rochester originally. And I would do independent shows and, and run into him all the time. And he was just always so happy, go lucky. And to look at him and then to know him, I mean, you, Kurt, you, you got to know him a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah, when you look at him, you think, oh my God, this hillbilly is going to attack me. He's this psychopath. <laughs> and then you get to talk to him and you realize he was the most down to earth, yeah. normal just I, sort of nerdy guy. I mean, we, we just would laugh and joke and, and we had these running, running gags in developmental um, where I would just try to, I, I would up my level of misery. I would be like, Hey Brody, what are the odds you take that weight rack over there and you just tip it over and I get a couple weeks off and he goes, no, I'm absolutely like, he didn't, he didn't find the humor in it. I was just, it was gallows humor. And, uh, but, but I remember when we first were in FCW uh, together, he, he and his family, very early on came over to my family's house for Thanksgiving because we were all the Island of misfit toys. None of us had any family nearby. We were all, you know, fr from everywhere around the globe and uh, just, just his laugh and his smile. And John was just such a, such a sweetheart of a human being. Uh, it's still surreal that, that he's gone and in the same extends to Wyndham. Uh, Wyndham, I got to know very early on in my WWE ten tenure because he had been up with the Nexus and got sent back down, okay. which Ordinarily, when you saw that happen, it wasn't good. You were being yeah, sent back down to be, yeah, exactly. You were being repackaged until they just decided that the next round of cuts was coming. And, and we saw that happen too many times to count. So I think we all assumed he was on that same path. And I think Wyndham himself felt like he was on that same path 
which is where Bray Wyatt came from. And again, just like Brody, when you know Wyndham, the 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 loudmouth, hilarious, you know, Florida boy who, who just wants to hang out. He, he we used to joke about how he and his brother were like the Dukes of Hazard in real life. When 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 Wyndham and Taylor were together, and it, you wanted to be at that party or you, wherever they were going after the show, that's where you wanted to be, just because the vibe and the energy and the laughter was just constant with both of those guys. And, and then I remember being in the the promo class the very first time Wyndham unveiled Bray. And you could have heard a pin drop. We all sat there and sort of looked at each other and everyone was watching Dusty. And I don't think Dusty said anything for 30 seconds or a minute. Did you guys know he was that articulate? No, we, no one had ever seen again, Wyndham do anything like that. Talk about, you you know how Kurt, most of the guys that you, you interact with, their character isn't that far of a stretch no, from who they no, are. It's part of them, yeah. It is. It's it's turned up to eleven. The old adage. It's it's me with my volume turned up. Wyndham is what was the antithesis of Bray Wyatt. Wow. And and to see him disappear into a, a closet or a, a empty locker room before promo day, he would vanish for 20, 30 minutes before, and then he would just walk in and walk right up in front of the camera and start to go. And the stuff that came out of his mouth, we were all sitting here going, what, what, what does it have to do with wrestling? What is <laughs> happening right now? Like it was just so amazing and captivating that you, none of us understood what the hell he was talking about, yeah. but we didn't want to, we didn't want him to stop speaking because no, he was just, crazy, you don't know what he's talking about. Right. Right. It was yeah. just like, it was confusing, but it was interesting and it was terrifying and, and the way he just became Bray Wyatt. And just as fast as he would become Bray Wyatt, if you'd see him outside of the ring, ah, oh, baby boy, give me a big hug. Yeah. He, he did the, you know, the, the brother handshake. The, he, he loved all that, man. He, he was the absolute best and, and so much fun to work with. Did you ever get to get in the ring with him, Kurt? No, I, unfortunately I didn't. I would have loved to though. For a dude as big as he was, yes, he moved like a move. cat. Oh my yeah. God. He does that that cross body where he runs at you. Oh yeah. And it oh my like God, it yeah. was maybe the scariest thing I ever encountered in a ring. <laughs> I'm laying there going, Oh no, I'm okay. I'm good. <laughs> wow. Okay. But yeah, he was, he was second to none, man. Just, just a world-class human being. I, I, I will miss him forever. And so creative. Mm. Well, you were talking about him and how he was such an orator on the mic captured your attention. Some of our listeners and fans, Corey, They've only been familiar with you and what you do at ringside and, and, and how you're kind of the voice to the, to the music that's being made and, and in the ring. And so I thought, let's talk a little bit more about you. You were an active wrestler. You had the concussion. You were just talking about it. And that led to you stepping away from the ring. What can you share as far as how that all went down for you in your life, the period that you were out and then making that conscious decision, Hey, I'm going to transition over and and be a, a commentator. Well, I can remember the night that the commentary idea was floated and that was actually the night of, or the night after I had my last match. It was WrestleMania access before WrestleMania in new Orleans. And I, I wrestled the match early in the morning and I I don't know if it was the same night or the next night I was at a, a little bar in new Orleans with Michael Cole and just kind of, I was just sort of venting. To me, I went, okay, I've had concussions before. I'll heal. This is annoying, but whatever. And it was in that conversation that I mentioned to Cole that I had 
spent a tiny bit of time as a sports uh, broadcaster here in Pittsburgh. Oh. With, remember the, the you know the fan ninety three seven the okay. fan that still yeah. exists. I was lucky enough to have the overnight two to six a.m. on weekend shift. Oh, uh, which ultimately now I'm grateful for. At the time, I between that between that nine one one. I mean, exactly. Come on. Yeah, who knows? See, <laughs> all these right. were, were steps in the right direction. I had no idea at the time. It, maybe this was all fate after all. But uh, again, like I, I mentioned, back to to what Dusty meant to me when I got shut down when I officially was told you, you can't wrestle anymore. Um, it was, it was the most heartbreaking thing I'd ever experienced, but I think that fight or flight instinct kicked in because I went, Oh my God, I'm at WWE right now. I'm here in the performance center. Okay. I can't wrestle anymore now, but what else can I do? Like, I'm not going to let this opportunity go up in smoke. So I started doing everything. I started, uh, setting up the speakers and running sound at the live events for NXT and, and anything I could get my hands on working with dusty extremely closely. And then Cole, revisited the conversation we had in new Orleans and said, Hey, I want you to try commentary. I said, all right, great. I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I would go on to spend countless hours again in the performance center state of the art at the time, there was actually a commentary booth and I would get in there with uh, rich Brennan at the time, who, who was the voice mm-hmm. of NXT. And we would call dozens and dozens and dozens of matches over and over and over again until I did not want to see that match ever again for the rest of my life, but it was reps. It was repetition. Yeah. I was going to say, was there a light bulb moment for you while going through those repetitions where you felt uh, it's clicking for me now? No, absolutely okay. not. I, I, th- I, I was so self-conscious, uh, that I just, I felt like I knew what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it, but I was afraid to take that risk to, be a little different rather than just a vanilla play-by-play guy or, and it it took me a while. I would say several months, at least maybe a year um, until I was confident enough that I could crack a joke or I could respond to something and, and do it in a way that didn't take away from the match or bury a talent or whatever, because there is an art to that. As much as, as much as people think, oh, you just go out there and talk smack for two hours. (laughs) Like, no, there's a very, very, not many people can do it. No, I, I, well, don't, don't tell them that everybody on the internet thinks they can do my job. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a bird. It's not a plane. It's the most revolutionary ball trimmer the world has ever seen. Gentlemen, our friends over at Manscaped have been working night and day to bring you a below-the-waist grooming experience like none other with their brand-new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. We're talking about a next-generation trimmer with interchangeable blade heads for whatever shave your mind can imagine. AI is cool, but I think this might be the biggest technological advancement the world has ever seen. Upgrade your grooming game to the Ultrasphere this year by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code angle high tech for low places manscape take it from me your olympic hero there's nothing i hate more than wrestling a 45 minute match dropping the singlet and then weaving my way through a mass of shrubbery to try to find my pp to relieve myself and thanks to manscape that's not a chore no more no way their fifth generation trimmer has dull led spotlights and it's the ultimate bush hog 
I take it with me in the shower and I walk out smooth, soft, and supple. Ready for action, whether it's in the ring, in the bedroom, or just using the urinal. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code ANGLE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code ANGLE at manscaped.com. I can promise you've never had a ball trimmer that looks like a spaceship. Get yours today from our folks at Manscaped. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. But, but uh, it was then when I, when I started sort of loosening up a little bit. And then I was getting the feedback from Michael Cole, from Triple H, from people backstage at NXT going, where has this been? Where's this guy been? And, and I grew up on Bobby Heenan, on Jesse Ventura, on, you know, Mark Madden, even in WCW. Oh, I yeah. love the, the smart asses. That, that's all. It's my sense of humor, but the, I've always sort of gravitated to it. And I think it was just me sort of, again, borrowing heavily or heavy influence uh, or just trying to do my my dime store imitation of the guys that came before me. But then after a while, I, I, you know, I honed it and I tweaked it and I did a little more of this, a little less of that. And I've kind of developed my own sort of style. And, and I'm unique in a sense that I learned alongside play-by-play guys who were also learning. So in a pinch, I wouldn't recommend it, but I can do play-by-play. I can do traffic. I can throw to commercial break. I can transition to another package, which traditionally speaking, a, a JBL, compliments me on it every time we talk because he goes, I, I just showed up and, and talked about the match and made jokes, but I, I have the ability to avoid the iceberg. Should, uh, should we start taking on water? I guess is at yeah. the end of the day. Mm. Well, were you confident that WLB would find you a spot or did you think that was it for you? No, I, I, I again, I was, I wasn't saying no to anything that was thrown my way at the time. So while I was learning commentary, I, I was, again, learning all these different aspects of the business and, and TV production. Uh, I, I was like a sponge and I would just sit down and I would ask people questions. Hell, I didn't know, as far as I was concerned, I would have been doing lighting backstage as long as it meant I could stay in WWE. I, that, that was how I looked at this. It was almost desperation. As long as I have a paycheck to feed my kids, if I could do it under the WWE banner, that'd be even better. But as far as commentary goes, I never had any sort of confidence that I would ever make it to, to Raw or SmackDown. I remember getting actually to the point where in NXT, I was frustrated because I went, this is as good as I'm going to get here. I need to work with a Michael Cole or a Jerry Lawler or, or whoever that may be. Because as you know, Kurt, the only way in this business you get better is to work with someone better than you are. Yes, yes. Um, and and it, I, I, was, I felt like I was treading water. But at the, end of, at the end of the day, I was still getting a paycheck, so that was okay. And I remember thinking, God, let me just give me a chance. Give me a shot at Raw. Let me do SmackDown once. Let me fill in for somebody. I'll set the world on fire. And it's since been relayed to me, you know, several years down the line that they knew I was ready back then. And they said they'd rather I'd be a little bit overprepared right. than to come up and, and underperform, which now I'm grateful. At the time, I, I wanted to swing at anybody who told me no, but now I'm, I'm grateful it worked out that way. You, uh, you were talking about the transition and influences. You mentioned Jesse Ventura, Bobby, the brain Heenan, Mark Madden, even when you're out signings, meet and greets, wherever the case may be, is there one name that you hear comparisons to the most? Like, man, you remind me a lot of Jesse Ventura back in the day or this guy or that guy. I think most frequently I get Jesse. Okay. Um, and I think some of that actually has to do with just the tone of my voice and the way that I speak is very similar. Uh, but anytime I get those comparisons, I know that everybody means it with the best of intentions, but it just makes me cringe and feel uncomfortable. 
Okay. Because I grew up with those guys and they were larger than life to me. And, and unfortunately I never got to know Bobby or Jesse really in any capacity. Um, so, so to them, they're almost these mythical characters that I'm like, no, those were the guys. So when someone goes, you're like the new Jesse Ventura, I go, thank you. But I feel like I'm, it's like an imposter syndrome feeling where I'm going, I no, come on. It's now. your own style though. You have your own style, and look, but the wit, it's the quick wit comeback and how you're able to do it so effortlessly. I think, well, I think I should thank my dad for that one. It's, it's on <laughs> your, your money when it comes to son that. of a salesman. <laughs> gotta, yeah. gotta be quick on my feet. Yep. <laughs> Hey, learn the job basically on TV. What were some of your weaknesses back then compared to who you are today? Oh, my God. I don't think we have enough time to go through all the things <laughs> I looked at. I, there, there's, about, uh, 20 minutes, brother. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's so, so much that goes into commentary in WWE that the world should never know. If it's done well, you never know. Um, but, but there are so many different things. I think the thing that I struggled with most was having all the different voices in my head. In NXT, we would have, uh, you know, the producer counting down and occasionally Michael Cole was producing backstage and he'd give you, just nudge you in a certain way or, hey, make sure you don't miss this. Okay. But then when you've got Kevin Dunn in one ear, you've got whoever's producing in another ear and you've got, nowadays you've got Bruce and, and Triple H, but nothing rocked me like hearing the voice of Vince McMahon, the voice of <laughs> at God, any given moment. It was, I always joke and say that it's when the voice of God comes into your ears. Right. I remember the first time I ever got quote unquote Vinced. We were on, it was, it was Chicago. It was Christmas night. We did Monday night raw live. This was probably, I don't know, four or five years ago. And we, st- the Ross, the raw commentary desk was on the top of the stage by the ent- by the entranceway. And we would stand up and turn around and do these reverse on camera so that the ring and the crowd was way in the back. I remember that. Yeah. It was, it was kind of a really cool setup, but I, Michael Cole and I were discussing beforehand. He said, listen, I'm going to do a welcome to Monday night raw. I'm going to say happy holidays, everybody. And he said, and then you can say Merry Christmas. Here's what we have on, on tap. Uh, okay, great. We're going to throw into some graphics and Cole goes, you know, welcome everyone to Monday Night Raw. Happy holidays, everybody. And with the speed of lightning, the boss was on the all call button, which means everybody that's listening can hear. I said, Merry Christmas, not happy. Meanwhile, I'm going, I'm going to say, I'm getting yelled at on camera. And I had to look like a deer in headlights going, oh my, this is it. I'm getting fired on Christmas night. I have no idea. And and of course we get done with it. And then he comes on and goes, ah, that was good. Thanks guys. But (laughs) you never know. I mean, Kurt, you know him well enough. Sometimes when Vince wanted to mess with you, you would never know. He's shitting his pants on live TV. Oh, I was get the line. I was terrified. My heart skipped a few beats there, but man. and, and, And conversely, you know, somewhere down the line, when I write a book one day, I'll, I'll tell a few other stories that are a little more lighthearted, but a little definitely not for public consumption. <laughs> some, uh, of the, it's good. some of the things that came through the headset over the years. <laughs> oh, that's going to uh, one day as you continue on and who knows where life will take you. But even on a podcast, these stories are going to be. Oh, yeah. Uh, fantastic. So you do. You eventually you're called up to work on Raw. Talk about how big that moment is. You get the phone call, whatever it looks like. Corey, you're the man. You're going to be on Raw. My first night on Monday Night Raw was here in Pittsburgh. Nice. Uh, so that to me was really, really special. Didn't matter to anybody else because no one knew who the hell I was. <laughs> but to me, I remember staying at the, it used to be the Marriott right by PPG Paints. Um, it's something else now. And I woke up that morning 
and I opened the window and I looked and I saw Mount Washington and I was, I was living in, uh, I was either in Tampa or Connecticut at the time. I think I was still in Tampa and waking up and seeing Mount Washington and it all became real. And I stood in my window in my hotel and I cried for about five minutes, just going, Oh, oh my God, here I am. And I got there. The first night went well, and I don't think I ever looked back since. It was just kind of, all right, we made it through. On to the next, on to the next. That's the nature of the beast, right? Mm. Wow, that's awesome, Corey. Uh, you worked with many people in your time, but what can you tell us about Michael Cole that we don't already know? What's <laughs> the dirt? There, there is no dirt, man. Michael Cole <laughs> is the genuine article. I, I take that back. The Michael Cole you see on TV is nothing like the Michael Cole off screen. <laughs> He's a part of me. Listen, I spend plenty of nights at the hotel bar with Michael Cole talking about old music and old wrestling and old football and God knows what. Uh, he's become he's become one of my closest friends. He's technically my boss, and I, I am so grateful. Up there with Dusty Rhodes, people that have had impact on my life and my career, especially Cole's got to be in that conversation. Um, he is so patient. So unbelievably patient with That's me cool. and other talent coming through because he understands Cole will tell the tale uh, anytime he gets the opportunity. He felt like it took him 10 years to fully grasp the psychology of WWE, which, which if you look back, I mean, he still had JR at the time. You had King running around and Cole was with Taz and they were both sort of learning on the job together. And, and uh, Cole's patience is second to none. Also, to hear him tell the the stories about his real life pre WWE, like his journalism stories, yeah. the guy's covered wars. The guy interviewed David Koresh. Like Cole <laughs> wow. has done some really wild stuff in his life, but you'll never know it because he's the consummate pro. He shows up. He doesn't doesn't you know ruffle any feathers. Does what mm -hmm. he has to do. He is a pros pro. Um, I, I, I there's not enough time on this or any other podcast for me to truly give him all the the flowers that I I want to. Man, I, I have That's all the cool. respect in the world for Cole. Man, that's awesome. Is there someone that you wish you could have done commentary with that you haven't at this point in your career yet? Oh, Maybe man. a legend. Maybe someone that doesn't do it anymore. Is there someone you think, man, what would it be like to call action alongside this guy? I think just the fan in me, the, the greats, right? I've had a chance to, to work with and get to know Jerry Lawler pretty well. I mean, King's become, I consider King a friend, and I'm honored to have called Royal Rumble matches alongside him and called a few episodes of Raw. Like That's not lost on me. I'm, I'm a fan of this. Uh, I never worked with JR on the air. Okay. Uh, I think that would be interesting. Uh, and Taz is another guy that I think, I mean, we, we, I think we might butt heads. We might be a terrible commentary team because we both sort of fill the same space. But uh, I also, and I can't believe I'm saying this publicly. I would love to work more with Pat McAfee. I think Pat, gonna, yeah. Okay, I think Pat has, he adds a whole new element that maybe nobody has seen before, uh, in, in the game. And I have more fun being me when he's there than, than in a lot of other people. Okay. Now, where the hell did you get your scandalous information regarding Jason Jordan? Kurt, if you handed me a million dollars right now, I wouldn't be able to tell you what the hell the information ever was. They never told me. I don't know what the payoff was ever going to be. Are you I, kidding me? I, I remember asking at the time because it just felt really random. Yeah. And they said, well, you know, you, you, Jason Jordan and I actually got hired uh, at the same time. Okay. I, I took my medical exams here in Pittsburgh. That's when I met him. We were down at UPMC for our pre WWE medical screenings. And we've been fast friends ever since. Um, and I think that was sort of the, the reasoning behind it. 
I just remember thinking like, I don't know what this means. I don't know where it's going, but I get to work with my friend and Kurt Angle. This is going to be awesome. I don't care, but I have no idea what the, what the plan ever was. No clue. And they picked you to kick the whole story off. I mean, I know that's that what I'm saying. Like, how are we yeah. gonna pay this off? Are they gonna yeah. both beat me up? Or what? I know, like, what is what is going on here? What's the deal? No link, no explanation, no nothing. Just ESX Machina. Who knows? Oh my god! Wow. Well, Kurt, there you go. Oh, those were fun times, though. I remember that was crazy for me, Kurt, because I was I still again I wasn't necessarily comfortable yet at the raw desk. Yeah. And I would be calling the show and I'm still learning and making sure I'm doing things right. And then I'd have to get up and run backstage to the set or wherever, do whatever we were going to do. And then as soon as I was done, run right back out. So I never got any sort of feedback. Like maybe it sucked. Like Corey, that was the worst pre-tape we've ever seen. I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe that's why, <laughs> that's why I never paid it off, but, but nobody told me at the time. So I just marched back to the desk and go, yeah, that was great. It was awesome. I'm, I'm amazing. <laughs> that's great. Hey, you had to work raw and SmackDown for quite some time. Was that rough on you? And did you embrace it? Uh, it was definitely, definitely rough uh, from a scheduling standpoint. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of when I feel like I really hit my groove, to be honest. Really? So uh, it, both shows really Yeah, I, I think this, this business. Much. No, I, I mean, it was in hindsight, it was absolutely too much. Yeah, my home life suffered. I was probably neglecting a lot of things that I should have been paying more attention to. But it was sort of my first chance at the dance. And I did just raw for a while. And when when I was asked to do both shows, I just looked at it as an opportunity to get better, to work with more partners, to learn more characters and, and just repetitions and really hammer out what I was doing. And I think looking back, that's probably when I I would say I definitely got comfortable being a, a color commentator in WWE properly was when I was just doing back to back. And, and those road trips in between were fun, man. I miss those days. We had a, we had a great crew, uh, you know, that, that would pile up in a minivan and drive from wherever raw was to SmackDown and have a great time along the way. So, uh, I hated I, those drives. Did you? <laughs> yeah. I love, well, all, I didn't have to do a lot of the driving. I would sit in the back, <laughs> sit in the back and you know, we had other guys up front taking care of business. As long as I ended up where I needed to be, I didn't really care how long I got there. Uh, what was it like for you, Corey, during being the SmackDown analyst during the COVID area, COVID uh, era in the Thunderdome and call a match, no fans. I mean, completely unique, different situation altogether. What was that like for you at the commentary desk? If I'm being honest for Cole and I, it was terrible. It was, it was <sighs> really, really rough. Um, I, and I still feel that the, the guys and girls who continue to step in the ring and do what they had to do, don't get enough credit because if you were there and you got to experience the Thunderdome in person, whether it be at the performance center or Tropicana field or, or USF or wherever they were stationed at the time, it was just, it was not fun. I mean, it's, it's exactly how you would assume it would feel when you go, okay, Hey, this is WWE where we have fans around the globe and they're loud and they're rowdy and they're boisterous. And even when something sort of bad happens to you, they'll fuel you forward and you can fight through it because the crowd's on fire and you're going to deal with this and you go, uh, all that, that major character in all of your shows gone now. It was so uncomfortable and it took so long and, and credit to our, our production team who made the most out of the situation. Um, the, the fact that we remained on TV throughout the pandemic, that, that, that can't be overstated. I mean, that was incredible and it got better and they'd start, you know, filtering in some, some crowd noises and guys would learn how to use those machines. It was a learning curve for all of us. Um, but for Cole and I, it was just, and I'll tell you what the hardest part was. We often shot out of order. 
So we might shoot a couple of weeks of TV in two or three days. And then we're going, wait, Oh, here he comes fresh off of this match. And Nicole will go, Nope, cut that. Blake, let's do a wild line. That match <laughs> that happened, happened two weeks before. Right? Yeah, it's it's crazy. That that was the hardest part. Um, I'm grateful we all survived it. We'll all have some pretty fun tales to tell somewhere down the line. But man, I, I don't know. Even if you paid me really, really well to go back into that, I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> me neither. Uh, you go back to Raw with Pat McAfee would join the WWE and SmackDown. Were you okay with that decision since it was Pat? Uh, yeah. So, so believe it or not, I, I, I'm blowing up my own stuff here. I think the world of Pat, uh, I, he, he, again, is such a strong persona. It's easy for me to play off of and, and rib him and get under his skin. Uh, I was, I was a little upset professionally that I found out like the, the, Hey, you know, you're going from Friday night SmackDown on Fox, the network show that you kicked off with Michael Cole. And then I, I, I took it a little personally, not not because of Pat, but sort of it was like I, I've paid my dues here. I'm the guy that shows up week after week. I'm the guy that did both Raw and SmackDown for two years straight, never complained. Um, and this is how you do me. I, and again, I remember I was talking to to uh, my wife and and just going, this is this isn't right. This is I, I have to do something about this. This isn't fair. I just felt I really took it hard. Um, again, it completely had nothing to do with Pat being Pat. It was just sort of the professional issue and. And she talked me off a ledge and I had a few conversations with Cole and Michael Cole is my boss slash therapist. Uh, So he talked me off the ledge as well. And and looking back, you know, it's business. I mean, Kurt, you know, you know, better than anybody here. Sometimes you got to do the stuff you don't want to do so you can do the stuff that you, you do. Um, And you, you, I'll give you an example. Please. When I wanted to have bestiality sex with Char- uh, Booker T's wife, Charnel. <laughs> like, we go. Really, you know, I, I had to go through that. Like, it was horrible, man. <laughs> Stuff you don't want to do. I mean, they throw it at you. And- yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, it was it was definitely uh, it was a it was a shock that I didn't see coming. But you know what? I dealt with it. We're we're all better off for it. I think. Well, Corey, listen, I, uh, I was going through looking at your Wikipedia page last minute before we did the show. And here's a, par- a small paragraph I want to read to you and get your reaction from it. And it said, uh, he's described talking about you as a typical Yinzer and often shows pride in being from Pittsburgh on WWE programming, often mentioning his bar hopping on Pittsburgh South side and mentioning his favorite place to visit. He did, however, admit that upon joining the WWE commentary team, he had to significantly tone down his natural natural Pittsburghese dialect only to see fellow Pittsburgh native Pat McAfee become successful on WWE commentary because of it. What say you to that? 100% true. 100% accurate. When I started doing commentary, even in NXT, I mean, I could speak and cut a promo and I never had the drastic Yinzer accent. My dad, you can tell, uh, total. Okay. Just big time. Um, but I had a, a hint of it, and it still sneaks out from time to time. My wife Love calls it. me on it every day. Uh, and, but I did. I had to train myself, and there were certain words that I had to reprogram how I pronounced because it just sounded local. It sounded yeah, like a yinzer. I, I know what you mean. I right? try not to talk that way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The, any broadcast school will tell you Midwest because it's sort of indiscernible. You're just you sound like a normal American. That's fine. That's all that matters. Um, and then, yeah, Pat, Pat comes along and he is just quintessential <laughs> downtown, downtown, down south side and that. And it just, it makes me laugh, but also I'm going, man, how many hours did I waste trying to break myself of these habits? Maybe I'd have been McAfee first. 
<laughs> it's unbelievable. And but, uh, 100% true. 100% accurate. I love it. Uh, you did get to wrestle one match on WWE TV, pinning Akira Tozawa to win the 24 seven championship before losing it to your buddy, Byron Saxton. Does he uh, still hold that above your head? Talk about Byron a little bit. Okay. So yes, Byron does still hold that over my head at any given opportunity. Uh, but I feel like I deserve it because after the ribbing I've given him over the years, oh yeah, uh, Byron, the human being, I, you would be hard, hard pressed to find a better human in our business. It's almost like it gives you pause. Like Byron, what's wrong with you? Why are you here? You're too nice. You've got a great family. You're you, he. He goes to church. I mean, he's a he's a model he's citizen. Good he guy. Is. He absolutely is. But his passion, he loves this more than anything. Uh, but Byron is an absolute saint of a human being. Uh, he he is unusual. He he's probably a little more unusual off screen than we get him for on screen. Uh, but nothing harmful. Obviously, just there's a lot of stuff that. We'll, we'll have a conversation in the locker room or when we're doing video game voiceovers or something will come up or he'll, he'll stick his foot in his mouth as he does professionally. And I just put that in my back pocket. I'm going to save <laughs> this and I'm going to wait until the perfect moment. And then boom, boom, boom. The, the, the amount of things I've, I've stung him with on the air that most fans probably would never get it is astonishing because they're inside jokes constantly. They're like 70% of the stuff I say to him means nobody something to me and him and nobody else. The best. <laughs> but I, I love Byron to death. I, absolutely. He's such a great dude. Well, you've been active in podcasting with your podcast after the bell and soon to be a father again with Carmela. How are you guys holding up by the way? Whew, well, I'm doing great. Uh, <laughs> she <laughs> is ready to burst at any moment. Uh, which is exciting for both of us. Uh, stressful. She she had this great pregnancy and she really enjoyed it and leaned into it. And if you follow her on social media, she had a new photo shoot every day of the week, and she she really leaned into it. Something she's always wanted to do. And uh, these last this last month or so, I mean, Kurt, you you've got kids. You know how that last month gets a little longer than the rest, and mm. a lot it's kind long. of like let's <laughs> yeah. let's move on with the show, and we can't get any more ready. He's already got. Uh, you know, the, the, the nursery's done. He's got a, a bigger wardrobe than I do. Uh, we, we absolutely couldn't be any more ready for, for him to get here. Uh, so it's it's exciting right now. Um, and, and, you know, WWE has been gracious enough to give me a little bit of time away uh, from good. from traveling so I can actually be here and be present uh, this time, which I hear is a great experience. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. That's cool that you get that opportunity this time around. Yeah, uh, for sure. You, uh, we were talking about some of the guys and uh, commentators that have talked a little bit about you and what you've meant to the business. I'm talking legends, Corey, like Jim Ross, Eric Bischoff, Michael Cole, the one that you've been talking about a lot as far as just a mentor and uh, someone that you can talk to. They have all praised your work over and over again. What does that mean to you now just to kind of hear what some of those all-time greats have had to say about your work? I don't think I have the words to express how much I appreciate all of that. Uh, but also taking it back to when I was saying about the comparisons earlier, it seems just as surreal as someone comparing me to a Jesse or a Bobby. I I'm grateful. I I'm not going to try to change anybody's opinion on that. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And, I and it, it means the world that some people that I respect at that level do ha have spoken, uh, spoken well of me. So I don't take that for granted at all. Um, it it's really, really, really cool. It, 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 it at risk of sounding simple, 
it's very, very cool to know that some people that I grew up watching and studying and idolizing and, and respecting in a whole different level, especially nowadays, you know, I've gotten to know Eric Bischoff somewhat well over the, over the years, just in small interactions. And, and that's the guy that brought the fight, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you look at history and history always remembers the winners, but we're lucky enough to still have Eric around and, and that knowledge and, and the business aspect of the sports entertainment business. Uh, I'm so grateful to, to have, be, have any sort of audience and sit down and chat with these guys. Uh, even if it's, if it's about professional uh, issues, cool, but just talking shop and life in the business, man, that, that's the coolest thing in the world. It's the biggest thrill that a kid who grew up a fan could ever have. Well, what has been your biggest highlight as far as doing commentary? Ah, man. I, I think the one that I always fall back on is my first WrestleMania. It was in Orlando. And I was out there with Tom Phillips. And we were in the, I believe it's called Camping World Stadium at the time. I don't know if it still is. It was the Orange Bowl at one point. Um, and and the, the kickoff show had just ended. And the the actual main pay-per-view was about to begin. And I was standing there under, you know, the giant canopies above the ring. And they had the, the, uh, the jets, the military jets did the fly over the stadium and standing there and looking up at the jets rather than being in a seat or seeing it on TV and just like craning my neck back and watching this happen. That's when it became real. Up to that point, like, I think I knew what was happening, but I didn't feel it. It was standing there and I went, I'm calling WrestleMania. Yeah. <laughs> this is unbelievable. You know what I mean? It was, it was definitely like a, a tent pole moment in my life. Um, it, it, it's pretty cool seeing those jets fly overhead too. It's man. unbelievable. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I've been, I've been around, I've been to plenty of sporting events and see them, but when you feel that you are part of the show that is happening, the reason for all that to be there, that was just such an incredible, it, it, it absolutely did. It was, and, and I hate, I think people use the, the word humbling a little too frequently. That to me was humbling. It was me feeling like this tiny little cog in the wheel of this massive machine. But here I am. This is where I belong. It was a real thrill. Uh, and since then, man, I, I would I would think I would probably offend everybody if I didn't tell everyone. Like I've called I got to call DX reunion in, in Saudi Arabia. I've called Kane matches and Undertaker matches and Kurt Angle matches. I mean, almost all of my favorites and heroes growing up, I've been able to call their matches, which is ridiculous to think about. You know what I mean? Again, I, I still look back at, at the little three-year-old kid hanging out next to my dad, watching Hulk Hogan and think, yeah. wait, that's what I'm doing now. What this is so weird. Corey, we have two questions for you, uh, to wrap up and, and then we'll let you get out of here. We thank okay. you so much for, for being here with us. And this is a question that I feel like everybody's asking the WWE talent members right now. And, uh, we're going to have to ask you, it's about CM Punk. Would you welcome him back in the WWE? I'm amazed it took this long. <laughs> it's been a few months for someone to actually throw this question my way, but usually I'm doing the hosting. So I'm asking right. everybody else. So this is, this is a fun, fun turn of events. Um, listen, Punk was always great to me when I was coming up. Uh, we were really, really, really close. Remember I told the story at the beginning of the show about how I missed my son being born? Uh, Punk was in Pittsburgh at the time. It was actually the first guy who held my son after he was born. Like, we were we were tight. Um, fast forward a few years. I don't really know what happened. We sort of fell out for one reason or another. I said some disparaging things in a very public, unprofessional manner. We haven't spoken since prior to then um but at the end of the day rather than sitting here and, and wasting everybody's time i'm a professional uh i'm too old to hold grudges i feel like whatever's happened is water under the bridge i got a, a whole different life i'm in a very different place in my life 
than I was, you know, back, back when all that stuff went down, if it's right for business, who am I to say no? Um, I I'm a pro at the end of the day, I, I would happily do whatever is needed. And I mean, I, I would shake the man's hand and move on and, and see what, you know, see what life holds. It's a different maturity level now. Tom heals all type thing. I, uh, that's so, how I feel, man. Yeah. That in yeah. a couple of years of pretty intensive therapy has probably helped me out. I can help bit. too. <laughs> right. Yeah. It never hurt. <laughs> and, and then our final question before we let you get out of here, dream match for you to call any wrestlers of all time. What stage, what would that dream match look like for Corey Graves? on? Oh commentary? my God. See, here I was going, this interview has been going swimmingly and now it just <laughs> Boom. There's the wall. Uh, <laughs> we saved it till the end. Though. <laughs> <laughs> um, off the top of my head. And, and this changes basically depending on the day. You can ask me the same question tomorrow. I'll give you a different answer. The one that I, I think I speak for myself and most of the wrestling fan dumb in the world right now, I don't think we ever got to see. And I feel like we were kind of robbed and never got to see Kurt Angle versus Bret Hart. Uh, that's a thanks, good one, man. but, uh, that's, that's the one that got away from me. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. top of mind. That's a, that's a great. What if, and, uh, on the other side of that Brock Lesnar versus anybody Brock Lesnar makes my job easy. And, and I'll tell you why, because I believe in Brock Lesnar. Oh, I do too, man. He's I mean, animal. God, Kurt, you yeah. know, better than anybody. I mean, the WrestleMania match, but what a freak of an athlete. He's a real deal, man. Best athlete for the biggest, how big he is. Yep. Athleticism and his power and strength. Unbelievable. He, he is a, a human like that. Super I don't know that he is human, Kurt. Have we confirmed that he is in fact oh, human? <laughs> well, so, okay. Brock Lesnar, who would you like to see him then against? I, I, I would say, I mean, Brock Lesnar, Bret Hart sounds like it might be kind of fun. Okay. There's your dream. Right? Match. Um, there we go. That, that's for today. On the for, round quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ask, ask me again tomorrow. Well, you know, we'll yeah, re-edit this. Change it change. <laughs> Corey, listen, man, thank you so much for doing this with us. This was an absolute blast. It's a pleasure to meet you. And, uh, we are so grateful to have you on the Kurt Angle show this week. Likewise, thank you guys so much for having me. And before I go, Kurt, I actually wanted to say this to you. I remember I bumped into you on a plane a few weeks ago after I just watched your your documentary yeah. uh, on Peacock, which blew me away. I, I knew some of the story, but to see the way they laid it out, I, I thought it was absolutely incredible. But I actually had a conversation with a couple guys in the locker room, uh, I think maybe last week or the week prior, because I was telling everybody, hey, have you watched Angle's documentary? No, no, I haven't watched it yet. I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. And I told everybody, watch it. And it, what struck me is the fact that we all have gotten to know you over the years, you know, through WWE or whatever avenue we may know you. It's easy to lose sight of what a badass you are and how proud we should all be to know you. And you represented our country, our my city. Um, I, I don't know that I'll ever get the chance to tell you this face to face. So just thank you, man. Thank you for everything. Awesome. You've inspired me. I know you've inspired countless others. Uh, and, and to watch it all in a linear fashion, like in, in that documentary, I, I, I have the utmost respect for you. I'm proud to call you a friend. Corey, thank you very much. That means a lot to me, especially coming from you. I really uh, appreciate it. I mean, every word of it. I mean, every word. Thank you, brother. So, well, hey. thank you, guys. This was a blast. I'm happy to do it anytime you'll have me. Oh, that's great. Uh, hey, and good luck to you. We'll have and you next week. <laughs> the, hey, the birth of your new baby coming soon, man. Congratulations. Right on. I appreciate it. I'm excited. And uh, yeah, next time I come back, I'll have a new dream match for you. This sounds good. All right. We're going to count on that. Then. Thank care, you so Corey. much, Corey. Awesome. Thank you, All guys. Right, thank you. Yep. There it is, Kurt. Corey Graves, man. What a great guest he was you on the show what? this I'm week. I'm not going to lie to you. I thought he was my favorite interview that I've 
he is so engaging, so talkative, so yes. friendly and open, and he's a yinzer. So what's not to he's love about him? You're right. All yeah. right. Well, hey, listen, I know you got to get going. Let's wrap up the show. By the way, don't forget all Kurt's past top impact moments, impactwrestling.com slash packages. Sign up with code Kurt. That's K-U-R-T. And if your business targets 25 to 54-year-old men, there's no better place to advertise than right here with us on the Kurt Angle Show. I'm going fast, Kurt. Can you tell? You've heard us do ads for some of the same companies for years. Why? Because it works. So go to advertisewithangle.com right now and find out how you can advertise right here on the Kurt Angle Show. Why wouldn't you want to? With guests like we had, Billy, Corrigan, Corey, Graves, they're just flooding in, and we're getting superior numbers and fantastic downloads and great feedback so check it out advertise with angle.com don't forget about our merchandise you can find it on boxagimmicks.com follow us subscribe on youtube youtube.com forward slash the angle pod you can like subscribe and turn on your notifications kurt tell them all about physically fit and smart snacks i got the smart snacks right here in my hand go to physicallyfit.com they're high protein low carbohydrate 11 different flavors. You're going to love every single one of them. This is part of my daily diet. I absolutely love them. And uh, you're going to love them too. Go to physicallyfit.com. And check out his his uh, cookies and cream protein at Project One Nutrition. Kurt, rave reviews I'm seeing all over the place online, social media. People are drinking it more than they drink water. And <laughs> it's making them have big muscles like you do. Tell them about that cookies and cream protein drink. Kurt Angle's American Dream Cookies and Cream Protein. I promise you, it's the best tasting protein on the market. High protein, very low carbohydrate. You're going to love it. Go to projectonenutrition.com to order it. And then finally, check out kurtanglebrand.com. That's where you're going to find all the great merchandise, the cowboy hats, the... Uh, <laughs> The cards, the cameo videos, the milk cartons. Kurt, what are they going to find at KurtAngleBrand.com? I'm not saying it. The whole wall of wax. There it is. The whole wall of wax. Kurt, thank you so much for doing the show with us this week. Thanks, Paul. I had a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed having Corey on the show. I did as well. On behalf of Corey Graves and your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, this is Paul Bromwell, and we'll see you right back here again next week for another episode of The Kurt Angle Show. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.